Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. New VanCast to start the week in Drancer. You know what they say. This is the word on the street that there is no better way to beat this sweltering heat than listening to the VanCast. It is the coolest podcast out there. It is uh, the coolest podcast. Uh, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever thought of us as cool. <laughs> to be honest with you, I've thought of us more as like detailed. So it's like, you know, this is the this is the podcast that will best distract you from, you know, the sweltering heat that is causing flooding in Pemberton and hitting record highs for the country of Canada. Uh, shout outs to Lit Light in BC. Um, brutal. Unbelievable. Like, I, I can't believe this. It's It's honestly astonishing. And hopefully it clears up by, uh, you know, Tuesday. Uh, 200th episode on Friday. Thanks to, we got lots of good feedback. And thanks to Farhan as well. That was fun. We had a good visit with him. And yeah, 200 in the bag. We, we talk about the heat here. So, you know, how we've done some game shows and had some bets along the way. Uh, work with me on this one. Daytime high in Vancouver, according to a reputable, reputable forecast that I'm looking at right in front of me here. Daytime high on this Monday as we record is set to be 40 degrees. Right. So which is higher? Today's peak temperature or the Canuck win total in an 82-game schedule next season? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with the temperature. <laughs> right? 40, no, I mean, 40 nice. wins is a lot. It is. They've had one 40-win season since that President's Trophy year, the second President's Trophy year of 2011. 2012, and that was the year they made the playoffs, Jim's first year on the job. Uh, they had 36 wins with 13 games to go when COVID shut things down two seasons yeah, they ago. Yeah, so they would have got there. They would have got there then, yes. But I'm yeah. with you. I think I got to get. I got to take the temp on this one. Well, I, I mean, there's so much work to do, right? Like, there's yeah. so much work to do. There's so little cap space to do it with. I, I still don't feel like, as much as we've hammered at home, J-Pat, I still don't feel like people understand, you know, like I'm working on the answer to our aggressive offseason game plan at the moment. It'll, it'll run some point today. But I wrote I wrote this sentence uh, at one point last yesterday evening. Effectively, if the Canucks can't carve out additional cap space over the next three weeks, then they're looking to then they're looking at needing to add three capable everyday defenders, including two top four caliber defenders for a combined clip of 4.5 to 5.5 million. If Edler and Hamannick fit into that price range, great. And if not, the club will have to pivot quickly into trying to find the next Derek Forbert on the open market. Like 4.5 to 5.5 million for three guys. 
right? Like that's the yeah. situation this team is in. And, and I still, I, I still don't know if like, I feel like we've broken it down as well as we can, both at the pages of the athletic Vancouver and on this podcast at length. Like, I feel like we've explained this, but because you go to cap friendly and it says they have 15 million in space and then you add 3.5 for Furland's hit and then you bury Erickson is 20 million. It's like all of that space is going to Pedersen and Hughes. Like all of it, all of it needs to be earmarked for them. And, you know, it's really important that people sort of grapple with just how conservative the Canucks are going to have to be without, you know, moving heaven and earth this off season. Like this market still wants to talk about Seth Jones and Sam Reinhardt. And it's like, guys, we should be talking about Kevin Miller and Peter Solarek, you know, like, we are, we are, we need to lower our sort of gaze here. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. There are, there is still value to be found potentially. There is creativity that sometimes comes from restrictions, right? But the, the Canucks are dealing with some significant restrictions and looking to upgrade their team next season. Considering that, I'm, I'm comfortable taking the over on 40 point or on 39.5 wins for the club as it stands today. Uh, in your aggressive piece that was posted late last week, we really haven't had a chance to to touch on it. We have talked about some of the concepts within, but there were a couple of things that jumped out at me that I just wanted to cover off here. Uh, one was Ryan Zingle as a UFA candidate. And you look back, like not that long ago, we had back-to-back 20-goal seasons on an Ottawa team that wasn't Terribly. He scored 22 goals, Tom, in 57 games in his final season with the Senators. I know. And then he went to, he went to Columbus briefly, then to Carolina, back to Ottawa, but his offense has dried up. Do you think there's a reclamation project to be had there? I do. I love Ryan Dezingle. I love Ryan Dezingle because at the very least, he's fast and like fine. Like he's an NHL player who's really fast. But yeah, I mean, there's a chance that he ends up being you know, uh, sort of a, a Jimmy VC light type contrib- contributor or Jimmy VC type contributor, which is a credible middle six guy who doesn't do a ton. But at the very least, he also has high end wheels, right? Like that's something the Canucks could use desperately in their middle six. Like this team needs a burner. Even if you just put a guy who can transport the puck for Pearson and Horvat, you know, like that will make a huge difference for that line. Like that would be fantastic. So or, or you know, on a, on the left wing with Miller and Pod Colson. I mean, both guys, well, Miller anyway, is, is decently fast. He's a good skater, but he's not a burner. Like adding, giving him a weapon that he can use to, to break the zone, you know, that'll pay off even if Dezingle's touch doesn't exactly come back. But I, but I do think it will come back to some extent. Uh, a lot of Dezingle's struggles offensively last year were percentage driven. Uh, I, I think he's a really strong regression candidate. And a guy that I'd look at very strongly. Like, I think that should be one of Vancouver's main, you know, $1.2 million targets when the market opens on the 28th. All right. One game. You need a credible middle six forward. Ryan Zingle or Matthew Highmore? Oh, to Zingle, for sure. Okay. Yeah, no question. I don't consider Highmore a middle six forward at all. Um, Yeah, I mean, I like Highmore. I like Highmore on the fourth line or... Ideally, as a 13th forward, right? But no, I mean, I think Dezingle's, Dezingle's faster. Like, the thing I like best about Highmore is his speed, and Dezingle's yeah. faster. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, no question. Look, we've known for a while that they've got to beef up their their speed factor lower, in the, I mean, across the lineup. But, you know, I don't know where Highmore is going to slot in, obviously. You talk about Dezingle. 
you know, a healthy Tyler Mott, if he can stay healthy, like, you know, that would, and, and if Jace Howerluck is back, uh, you know, like that would be a pretty good transformation, at least a step in the right direction, yeah. uh, given some of the pieces of the veteran aging guys that, uh, you know, speed is not part of their arsenal. Uh, you know, so I, I'm with you that certainly that makes sense on a lot of levels to, to look for, for that kind of player. The other thing that you wrote about, uh, and we've touched on buying out Braden Holpe, but you put it in the subsection of, you know, sort of put all your faith in Ian Clark to do Ian Clark things. If they were to buy out Holpe, you'd want them to go find a, a backup with a little experience, but one that they could get on a team-friendly deal. You have to. I mean, the logic of a Holpe buyout is that it only gives you $3.8 million in additional cap space, right? That's, first of all, only only a... Uh, what, 2.7 million above what you'd benefit from if you just buried him in the AHL, right? But also, if you take up a million dollars of that cap space on a goalie or a million two or a million five on like a really good 1B guy, then your cap benefit becomes like 1.5 million versus what you would have got by just burying him, right? So the logic of a Holpe buyout, first of all, a Holpe buyout needs to follow the Canucks reappropriating or reallocating salary cap space, you know, from a guy like Jay Beagle into a guy like a Tyler Pitlick, from a guy like an Antoine Roussel into a guy like a Marcus Nudavara, right? Like those, you need to have like multiple deals like that, which are going to be hard enough to execute anyway, because while a lot of teams have some overpriced vets or mistake contracts, the Canucks have more and bigger mistakes, right? Like it just is what it is. And so those that's going to be hard enough to do. But if you can do it, if you can find a way to reallocate two of those three deals, then I think you can start to consider a Holtby buyout as like a realistic option. Now, I still would suggest against it. Like if I was making the recommendation, I'd still be like, nah, don't do it. Do not. Just, just, just hold on. You know, the good thing about expiring contracts is poof. <laughs> a year from now, they're gone <laughs> like magic, right? Um but but if you can if you can reallocate some of some of that sixteen point three or or I guess it would be twelve into something of tangible hockey value, then I do think you can consider a Holpe buyout. And the logic of that only makes sense if you also severely curb your spend on the player you have to bring in to replace him. Uh, like ideally, it's eight hundred k, right? Because then you get three million in cap benefit. You know, really, it's two million, but whatever, three million in cap benefit that becomes worthwhile. But Man, the more I see it, the more I model it out. Like without that three point eight from from the Holpe buyout, um, you know, <laughs> I just think the Canucks are going to be a little bit too tight, barring a barring a major trade of a of a player like an H. Schmidt uh, this offseason. The backup goalie thing is interesting to me, and I know that there are far more priorities. But you know, we're going to get back to an eighty two game schedule, I think, for the first time in a couple of seasons. Hell yeah! You know, give or take. You need around 45 wins, right? 45 wins guarantees you 90 points, and then you hope that you add a couple of singletons to that, and that would put you on the right side of the playoff bar. In an 82-game schedule, like, if your starter could deliver 35 wins, let's say, you probably still need 10 wins from a backup. So you do have to find a guy that can still play at this level. Yeah, and you need to find a guy who can spell Thatcher Demko, right? Who's only been a starter for two, three months of his career to this point, right? Like you do need 
a credible backup in my view. And the good news is I do think there's going to be relatively experienced backups that won't cost you an arm and a leg. Like, you know, we mentioned a bunch of them, but like James Reimer makes his offseason home in Kelowna. Um, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't be the perfect stylistic fit for a guy like Ian Clark, but he's, you know, pretty technical, plays a percentage game. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think he's going to demand a, a ton of money in <laughs> this offseason. That, that to me is the type of bet the Canucks should be looking at. Um, you know, in addition, I'm sure Clark has a couple of guys in the European leagues that he likes, you know, like there is there, whoever he thinks is the guy at a low price point, that's who you should target in the event you buy out Braden Holtby. Um, I do expect the Canucks will be in that 800 k to $1.2 million range in the event they buy out Holtby. We'll see. I sort of like, I sort of think that a Holtby buyout is more likely than not JPAT, just because the more I model it out, the more tempting it becomes to me as I'm like trying to upgrade the team. And if that's how I feel about it as a sort of rhetorical exercise or like a thought exercise, like imagine how the guys whose jobs depend on the club improving or bouncing back next season feel about it, right? Like it's just going to be too tempting. And I think it happens for that reason. I also think Holtby is the hardest of those four guys to move. Like I think moving Holpe is harder than moving Louis Erickson because after July 15th, Erickson's only owed 3 million in salary. Holpe's going to be owed 5.7 million, right? Like this is the legacy of the spendthrift way that the Canucks operated last season. Holpe's last year, immovable, immovable in my view. Uh, I do ultimately expect the, for those reasons, a, a Holpe buyout to be slightly more likely than not, but it also just shouldn't be something they do. We're recording this on the morning of June 28th. Free agency opens on July 28th this year. So that's the new July 1st. So we are a month out, set your countdown clock. And of course, free agency day is also the day that Elias Pettersson becomes an RFA. So like, do you anticipate this thing bringing about any drama or will the Canucks comfortably get a deal done with Elias Pettersson before there's even the possibility, before they open themselves to the possibility of an offer sheet? Yeah. So there's no question that Vancouver's Hockey Operations Group and Pettersson's representatives with Creative Artists Agency or CAA, uh, Pat Brisson being the primary guy on his file and, and JP Barry's also on the file, have been actively engaged in dialogue throughout this offseason to this point, right? There's there's yeah. no question. There's motivation on Vancouver's end to get these deals done in the next three weeks before the machinery of the NHL offseason like really whirs into full gear with the expansion roster freeze, and that's on July 17th. So my understanding of these talks is that in discussions to this point, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, the big hurdle that remains is really figuring out the term, right? And, and term obviously dictates pretty much everything. You know, we, we have a pretty good idea of what Pedersen's cap hit looks like on a, on a three-year deal. Uh, we also have a pretty good idea of what it looks like on a six-year deal. I don't think the Canucks can afford to go long, frankly, with their cap situation on Pedersen. So for a while now, that expectation has been that Patterson will sign a bridge deal. And, um, you know, again, Braden Point, three times 6.75, Matt Barzell, three times 7 million. Those are the comparables that will loom large. Uh, so that market's relatively uh, firmly set. Although I do think 
there's still some chance that Pedersen could even go as short as two years, right? Like, I think that's still a possibility with where talks are at. Um, I think the sides are motivated to sort of bridge that term gap, as it were, um, you know, potentially this week, maybe in the next 10 days. I, I think they'll be working on it. Um you know, and, and then really getting into hammering out the details. So, you know, I do, if I was to handicap it, I'd sort of say, I, I think it's 60 to 70% likely that Pedersen is done before the market opens and he's eligible for an offer sheet. I, I do think they'll avoid drama on that one. Um, but, you know, it is restricted free agency. We've seen so many of these negotiations go long, uh, go to the wire. Uh, I, I do think there's a chance that occurs here. Um, but, but if I was, if I was sort of handicapping it based on what I'm hearing from both sides of the negotiation and sort of where we're at, I do think that both sides are motivated to get it done relatively early and avoid that type of eventuality. So, um, you know, coin flip, but a weighted coin flip with me sort of marginally preferring, um, you know, a a favorable and friendly outcome with a deal being expedited here. I mean, I put the question to you as, do you think you get it done so that they avoid, any potential poaching, but don't you think too, like it's so important internally to have their ducks in a row so that when they get into the market and try to spend whatever money they've got, they actually know, uh, you know, they have a much better understanding because we've said that the Hughes one, you know, Hughes is going to be a little different for a number of reasons. I mean, the position he plays, his peer group, especially this summer as well. Um, and I'm not sure who's going to want to be the first to, to jump among those group of young defensemen that all need that second contract. But like, don't you think it's important too for the Canucks to have as much certainty as possible on what they've got left in their bank account to actually spend in unrestricted free agency? 100%. 100%. And that's a big reason for their motivation too. Cost certainty matters, especially with these contracts. Um, you know, additionally... I think the Canucks, I mean, I think the Canucks would protect themselves no matter what. Like, I don't think anyone's going to sign an offer sheet and actually sign Elias Pettersson, but it's not going to take a lot to sort of blow up Vancouver's cap structure at this point, right? Like, if you tender Elias Pettersson, you know, a four-year, eight-and-a-half million dollar or nine million dollar offer sheet, right, that walks into free agency and you know, ends up with the Canucks paying an additional $2 million over what they'd hoped to pay him on a three-year deal, um, that makes everything really complicated, right? Like, that that means that when Quinn Hughes comes in at, and maybe you have to grind Quinn Hughes because of that, right? Maybe you end up in a spot where Quinn Hughes, you really need him to take five to keep their combined cap hits at 14-5, which gives you the, you know, seven and, seven and a half to eight-ish million dollars in cap space you need to fill out this roster, right? Like, you end up in such a defensive position in the event that Pedersen takes even you know significantly more than like seven point five million, and that's definitely going to happen if someone tenders him an offer sheet, as as we learned with the Sebastian Ajo experience in uh, Montreal and Carolina. So, yeah, I mean, look, clearly the Canucks need to get this done and avoid that eventuality. I don't know that it's a huge risk for me. It's a for me, it's an extant one, but not a urgent one um, that for the Canucks to mitigate anyway. And we'll sort of see where this goes. But yeah, they, they do need to get Pedersen done as soon as possible, as expeditiously as possible. And I think both sides are motivated to, you know, bring that about. So the talks for those two, Pedersen and Hughes, should be heating up 
uh, a month out from unrestricted free agency. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were talking about offer sheets. We got Tampa in the Stanley Cup final, which gets going later today. Remember the good old days, Tom? The amount of time that we spent here on the VanCast talking about offer sheeting Eric Chernak? I do, yeah. I mean, that's it's still crazy that that didn't happen. How is that guy signed for $3 million? There's, like, it's crazy. Still crazy. Still insane, J-Pat. Makes no sense. It, it doesn't make sense on a lot of levels. One, the player. And the other is, like, you just figured that somebody would want to take a swing at the champs, right? Like, take your best shot at making life difficult on the Stanley Cup champions. Maybe they knew that they had the Kucherov LTIR in their back pocket, whatever the case. I am surprised that somebody didn't step to the plate and take a swing at the champions. And look, and that's the other thing. If if no one was going to take a swing at Cernak, no one's ever going to take a swing at anybody, right? Like, I know, we we do. We spend a ton of time talking about these things, but it would be very Canuck, right? Like, cap recapture doesn't apply to anybody but the Canucks. It would be very Canuckish to have somebody try and take a run at Elias Patterson. Fair enough, fair enough. Here's the other one. Here's the other one I don't understand, Jay Pat. Like, I'm watching this Tampa Bay team play, and I love Ross Colton. Like, Ross Colton is great. I think Ross Colton is a really, really good player. I think he could be an easy third-line player for the Vancouver Canucks. Easy. He's an RFA. You can make, you can tender an offer sheet below $1.4 million, J-Pat, below $1.4 million. So you can you can actually make it at $1.4. You can make it at $1.41, basically. And that offer sheet would come with no compensation, zero. It would be like signing a UFA. It would just take a week. And like Tampa can't afford a $1.4 million fourth-line player. They can't. They cannot. A lot of teams in the league can't. Pittsburgh can't. Chicago can't. The New York Islanders can't. Like, why do we never see anyone sign a $1.4 million offer sheet for a guy you know could play up a lineup elsewhere, but instead is going to be like a wrecking ball fourth liner for the team that's probably going to win it all if you don't fuck with them, right? Like, why do we never see that? It drives me nuts. There's like four different Tampa Bay Lightning players that I would sign to $1.4 million. I would at least sign two of them to $1.4 million offer sheets because I think they're middle six caliber players for the Canucks. Guys like Alex Bourré-Boulet and Boris Katchuk and Ross Colton. Like, why not? Why Why do we never see that? That blows my mind. And Colton, like, he's a hell of a player. And yet, you know, the, the latest in a long, long list of these middle to late round picks that Tampa has absolutely hit on. He's a fourth round draft pick, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and, and Bourré-Boulet, who's super good, is an undrafted player, right? Like... They just do it all the time. Like, Borei Boulay is going to play minutes for them next season, almost surely, and do it really well. Like, he's going to be a capable offensive piece. Um, Yeah, I mean, for me, you go to them, you sign both guys at 1.4. If you get both, that's great. That's like you built your middle six. You built your middle six at 2.8 combined. Um, And instead, Tampa Bay will grind them, and they'll accept their qualifying offers at 700K and – the machine will go on <laughs> grinding down opponents. And it just, it, 
I, I, I cannot understand it, JPAT. I cannot. All right, take me back in time because we're down to the final two now. The cup final begins. It's Montreal, it's Tampa. Last year, it was Dallas and Tampa. They were last team standing. And again, you were one of the few that was there in the bubble to see it in person. Remind me what happened. I know Tampa won, but I, I, I've sort of blanked on memories of that Stanley Cup final. Yeah, they won in six, right? They won in they six. Did. Yes. The memories that I have of it really were Kucherov and Braden Point were just unstoppable, like just unstoppable. Um, Tampa Bay probably should have won in five, but Dallas gutted it out. And I have sort of three real significant memories from the Stanley Cup final. One is the Stamkos goal, of course, which is like one of the most indelible moments in Cup final history. I do remember that, yes. The other thing I remember is every time Patrick Maroon and Jamie Alexiak – you know, hit each other, right? There was like, like, oh, two big rigs. They're both nicknamed Big Rig. <laughs> they hit each other like, oh, Big Rig off. I remember that. <laughs> I got really excited about that every time that happened. Um, about a Big Rig off. Okay. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the final thing that I really remember well is John Klingberg. John Klingberg down, they're down 2-1 and he's back checking at the Tampa Bay Lightning with seconds remaining. It's like eight seconds remaining in, in game six. They're, they've lost. Like the moment the puck got turned over, it was over. Whether or not Tampa put in the empty net or not, one player was skating. He was going to burn the clock. And John Klingberg back-checked like hell no matter what, right? Like no matter what, John Klingberg left it all on the line for a hopeless back-check. And I just remember thinking like two months in isolation, you know, uh, two and a half, probably three months since you last saw your family, just leaving it all on the line with no hope like that was impressive to me that was the mark of a game loser right like a everything i like about the way that hockey players at their best work and play was sort of exemplified with that balls to the wall hopeless klingberg back check those are the three impressions that i remember most indelibly from the cup final um john klingberg hell of a player absolute horse Stylistically, it's interesting. Like Dallas was really good defensively, but they had those mobile defensemen, Heiskanen, Lindell, uh, Klingberg, as you mentioned. You know, now you get Montreal and got the big four pillars back there. And ultimately, you know, this is a battle of two $10 million goaltenders. So uh, interesting cap allocation. Of course, Tampa uh, had the benefit of the Kucherov long term, so they were able to, to make it work. But you know, there aren't a lot of teams that can get by with $10 million goaltending, but uh, here these guys are, the last two teams standing. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, I don't think it's a, <laughs> like, last year, last year everyone was saying, you know, uh, this, that the, um, the, the mark of the uh, Stanley Cup final, because remember, Vasilevsky's uh, contract hadn't kicked in yet, right? And you had Anton Hadobin right. at like $1 million. Right, so it's like they were at four million combined, but Vasilevsky had that extension in hand, was about to be a ten million dollar goalie. Plus, the Stars had Ben Bishop on LTI; he's a six and a half million dollar goalie. Right, so look, there's no one way to win in the NHL. Right, there's a lot of different ways you can win, especially once you get into the bingo balls of the playoffs. Um, you can win with expensive goaltending. There's no question. 
You can win with cheap goaltending. What you can't win with is bad goaltending. <laughs> and you can get good goaltending from all sorts, right? Like the Chicago Blackhawks got great goaltending from Kevin Lankinen this past year. I didn't even know who Kevin Lankinen was before the season. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs got great goaltending from Jack Campbell. Like Jack Campbell was not the reason that the Montreal Canadiens beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. It wasn't the $8 million disparity in net. And even if it had been, the Maple Leafs had a $6 million goalie. He just wasn't playing for them. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't draw big sweeping conclusions from this. I still would be very reluctant to pay any goaltender that amount. Although if you were going to do it, do it for Andre Vasilevsky, a, a goaltending robot who is just incredible. All right. We haven't done picks round by round. We did the opening round and didn't go particularly well for either one of us. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I've got a serious right all playoffs. It's embarrassing. <laughs> well, this is your last chance then. Uh, but we should leave the listeners uh, certainly with uh, a thought and a prediction on how this thing is going to shake down. I'll take Tampa because I've taken Tampa sort of across the board and I've bet against Montreal at my own peril. It just it doesn't make sense on a lot of levels uh, how they're getting it done uh, with the lack of offense. And now it sounds like Yoel Armia is going to be out at least to start. And, uh, you know, that's just another piece for a team that doesn't have a, a ton of firepower. They get enough, obviously. And Tampa, what I like about Tampa is, and they showed it on Friday in game seven against the Islanders, like they can win the one nothing game. They can grind and, and win that game. Oh, yeah, they can. They, they also, but they can open it up. Like, I'm not, Montreal can win the grind game. I'm not sure Montreal can stay with Tampa if it's, if they start trading chances. And I know Montreal wants no part of that. Montreal is terrific if they get the lead, uh, if they're trailing and they have to rally and open it up a little, like a lot of teams. I mean, that that's when danger sets in. So, uh, again, I, I bet against Montreal at my own peril. I understand that, but I just, I think Tampa's got, too much, and I think Tampa's going to get. I'm going to take Tampa in five. Yeah, I, I think Tampa's going to get it done and get it done quick. That's my opinion too. I, I agree. If the Habs can do this, this will be an absolute miracle run and one for the ages. And if one, you know, you were talking about Canucks things, right? Like Canucks things are having something uniquely bad happen to you, right? Habs things seem to be having something uniquely great happen to you. So, um, you know, if any team can do it, it does feel like it's les habitants, but I, I don't think they have enough. I, I really don't. I think this is an absolute mismatch in the cup final, and I suspect the results and the run of play will both reflect it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Tampa. And I, 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 I'm going to take Tampa in four. I'm going to pick the sweep. Wow. Okay. Bold, because not many people take the sweep, especially in the Stanley Cup final, but uh, let's see how it all plays out. I always, one I always take one sweep. In every, in every round, I try and take a sweep when I can. Until, you know, a conference final, it usually gets pretty hard. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, that said, I thought Tampa was going to make quick work of the Islanders. And it looked like I was right um, at one point, right? Like, I thought they were going to win it in, you know, five max. Five, maybe six. Um, so I was surprised that they had so much trouble with the Islanders. Uh, you could see how they could have trouble with the Canadians. But, uh, you know, I just... They're just so good, man. They're just so good. It's insanity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because this is a Canuck podcast, let's finish up with one little piece of Canuck. I won't call it news necessarily, uh, but Ben Lipka is a reporter for the Abbotsford News, and he tweeted over the weekend, email from the Abbotsford AHL mailing list. Fans can select seats starting on July 19th. Have to think a team name will be chosen by then. So there's a couple things in that tweet 
that tell you, I mean, July 19th is coming quickly. That's three weeks. Yeah. That the Canucks are going to have staffers in place to be able to handle seat selection and those types of things. So uh, clearly things are happening behind the scenes. But I thought this was interesting. He posted a, a quick line from this email that went out and it says, finally, here's a reminder of key dates you can expect over the next few months as we prepare for takeoff on an exciting inaugural season at Abbotsford Center. There you Prepare go. Prepare for takeoff. That that doesn't sound like Golden Eagles. No, it does not. <laughs> Golden Eagles don't take off, do they? Or do they they take flight, right? Takeoff sounds Takeoff sounds aviation related. No right. doubt. Yeah, very yes, aviation that, related. And that's the yeah. right call, right? Like it should be an aviation related name in Abbotsford. Um yeah, I mean, for sure, as opposed to the Golden Eagles, a name that references the Aquilini's holding company, right? Like, come on, come yeah, on. No. Go, yeah. l- l- a, an aviation, an aviation-themed name pays tribute to the history of the community, right? Golden Eagles does not. And so, yeah, av- an aviation-themed name, and now just flip the V, baby. Just flip the millionaire's V <laughs> for your logo. Like, let's go get this one right. I think they will. I think the Canucks are pretty good at this. And look, I think one other thing I'm about to run at the Athletic at some point Monday, maybe Tuesday, but probably Monday, we're going to run a piece that's the answer to our, um, you know, what a perfect aggressive offseason could look like for the Vancouver Canucks piece. Uh, this is the uh, perfect conservative offseason. And the core takeaway of the piece is this, right? That the Canucks have to adopt a volume approach by placing relatively low cost bets on a bunch of free agents with upside. Like this is the way forward for the Canucks, right? With limited cap space, they have to replicate like what the Florida Panthers did last year. They got Gustav Forsling, Anthony Duclair, Carter Verhage, and Alex Wenberg for like, you know, 6 million in combined cap hit. Um, Of course, it wasn't as simple as that. They probably spent 12 million in total all because they also brought in Noah Juleson and Kevin Connaughton and Ryan Lomberg and Marcus Nudevara and Vinny Hinestroza. And some of those guys did not work out really. Right. But they got enough surplus value out of the four that hit to make the approach well worth it. Um, this is how the Canucks have to, like it's a necessity that they pursue that track this off season with the limited cap space that they have this is how they can improve quickly. This is how they bounce back. It's with. It's not with Sam Reinhardt. It's with Ryan Dezingle and two other Ryan Dezingles, right? Like it's with Ryan Dezingle and <laughs> Derek Ryan and Vinny Hinestroza. Honestly, it might be Vinny Hinestroza again. Um, and here's the here's the benefit of this. This approach also has a spillover benefit for the Canucks. Like your downside on missing is actually lower for the Canucks than it would have been for the Panthers a year ago because any guy that doesn't quite hit at the NHL level just becomes a really good player for your minor league affiliate, which is moving to the lower mainland and will help you make a good first impression with a new product that you're selling in the Valley, right? Like any guy that doesn't hit, especially if they're below 1.125, that's a win for the competitiveness of your AHL club. And so... You know, there's really even even the downside for the Canucks is mitigated significantly by the fact that they've moved the Abbotsford AHL team into the Valley. So uh, this is this is a crucial, crucial thing that the Canucks have to do this offseason. It should be the basis on which they operate everything. 
And I think it will be. And I, I not, not just because I think it's what they've thought about strategically themselves, but I just don't see any other option for them short of, you know, someone getting drunk and accepting a trade for Louis Erickson. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, hockey coming to the Fraser Valley. Hockey coming to Seattle. Uh, Dave Haxtall was introduced last week as the first head coach of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, he's going to be on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday, as is Katie Strang from the Athletic and Rick Westhead from TSN. Fantastic. And these two are doing Incredible work, and man, this is going to be appointment viewing, I think, this afternoon. I know the NHL will be prepared, but before Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final, it is the annual State of the Union from the commish, and there's nowhere to hide. Like, uh, this has the feeling of being a day of reckoning for the National Hockey League. Uh, there's enough info out there from former players and former coaches on that Blackhawk staff going back a decade uh, this is ugly stuff. And Katie Strang, we had her on when Jake Vertanen was placed on his leave. Uh, she does amazing work. Rick Westhead, obviously, uh, leading the charge too on this. And uh, I'll be really interested to see uh, what the commissioner is willing to say, what he has to say. But I don't think, like, we're at a point in time he cannot just duck this one or, or dodge the bullet. I, I don't see how he can do anything else, though. I, I mean... He'll cite pending litigation and the focus on the cup final, and that's my expectation for today. I'm just not sure what else he can say at the moment unless he's prepared to launch an internal NHL investigation. I mean, that would be the only thing you could do uh, as the commissioner. He's pretty boxed in here. Um, I should note, by the way, of course, that I worked with Paul Vincent, right? Paul Vincent, who's showing up in, in the stories yeah, as, yeah. The, as the guy. I worked closely with him uh, in Florida, and... Paul is like absolutely a man of character, right? Uh, not not just a former cop. That's the part of his background that's being cited widely, but also a uh, long, long history of advocacy for uh, on children's issues, including fostering. Um, Paul is a, a character guy. And uh, this story, um, you know, it's been maddening, maddening to read about, like just Makes me absolutely furious, but I'm not surprised that Paul was the guy in the middle of it, uh, behaving with a conscience, having, you know, worked with him and gotten to know him a little bit during my time in Florida. I mean, this league has a long history of, you know, don't worry, we've got this under control. Watch our games. It's the Stanley Cup final. This is what's important. But look, if the story, the way it's told is true, uh, you know, this guy, this video coach for the Blackhawks went on to work with minor hockey players, 
college hockey players like the NHL uh, and the Blackhawks had a chance here to stop this uh, before it got any worse. And it does feel like uh, there has to be some sort of response. Like this one can't just get swept under the rug. So we need to know. You, we need to know who knew what when. Period. Period. Right. We, we we're need starting, to know that. But we're starting to hear from people that were on the inside that apparently people did know and that a decision, like an actual decision was made not to file a police report like that. Yeah. You know, that's where it starts to get pretty dicey. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an ugly story for the league. No question. And for the Blackhawks and for a variety of, you know, like ranking executives working for a variety of different teams across the NHL to this point. And obviously, Mark Bergevin said that he didn't know about it at the time. I think that's been greeted with a ton of skepticism um, in hockey's online community. And, you know, I don't want to chime in too much on this beyond saying that having a good understanding of how information flows within a team and having been fortunate enough that I was never in a meeting discussing a matter like this, right? Um, But a director of player personnel who's not in the traveling party, like, just, just in terms of my own bullshit detectors, right? Yeah. I will say when, when I saw Bergevin's quote, it did not, like, there were no sirens blaring on my bullshit detector. Like, if you're not, if players knew and the coaching staff knew, that all makes sense to me. Uh, I would expect equipment staff would have known and medical staff would have known too, because that's the traveling party. That's the, that's the, the group that's really close and spends day after day after day together. If the director of player personnel didn't know, however, like that to me would not be a huge shock, especially in a situation where the decision had been made to keep a lid on it at that point in time during the conference final, right? Like then once you've decided that these, that you're not going to take action, you're not necessarily going to then disseminate the information within your hockey operations group to people who are not necessarily with the team day to day, right? Um not not to defend Bergevin or anything, just my reaction, my honest reaction to that quote and to the reaction that I've seen, um, at least at the very least, it didn't set off my personal bullshit detector. Uh, but obviously, I think this is a really important story to get to the bottom of. I hope the NHL agrees and you know launches their own investigation, um, an independent one uh, today when Gary Bettman meets with the media. However, I, I expect them to cloak themselves in you know the no comment that's relatively easily offered to organizations when it's, you know, a matter of pending litigation. Well, that two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday will be must-listen. So check that out and check out our comment section for every podcast episode that we record at the Athletic App. Leave us a note, thoughts, comments, uh, responses, critiques, whatever. Uh, We love to hear from you and get your feedback. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Stay cool out there. Ridiculous temperatures for a couple more days. So uh, hopefully we can help you pass the time. You can find a meat locker to listen to uh, this edition of the VanCast. For your answer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks so much for your support. This has been another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.